Maurice is blocked by Bogut. Good recovery by Andrew Bogut. Let's get rogue. Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the basketball series. Myself, Mike Procopio, just at the tail end of game two of the NBA Finals. We'll get into that shortly. But, Pro, what's going on? Man, we got a midnight start tonight, Bogues. We're waiting after the second game. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty uh, – The dedication you have for the podcast, Pro. It's the dedication you have. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt about it. Plus, you know, we've got some ice ice cream sandwiches in the fridge that we're doing redoing our uh, our kitchen over. So I got to be like Tom Cruise and fucking Mission Impossible to get through that fucking to get through the construction site to the to the fridge. But you know, dedication, my <laughs> man, dedication. Your wife has it cordoned off from you, huh? No doubt. She 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 only wants to spend seventy five grand in the kitchen just to keep me out of there at night. So. You know, hey, that's dedication on her part. <laughs> it's for your benefit, bro. That's, what, mm-hmm. that's the way you look at it. All right, moving on. Boston, Miami, we had a game seven after our pod last week. So we'll discuss that a little bit. It goes to Miami, obviously, because we're in the middle of the finals, but we'll touch on Boston a little bit. Look, I give credit to Boston, bro. We, we were scathing of them. So was the whole basketball world. I mean, 3-0. Um, they made it a series and went 3-3. So I think commendable that they actually fought back. But Miami just just too poised, too tough. Um, I felt like they they just looked like more of a unit, more of a squad. Um, Boston kind of went individual throughout that series. They brought it back when they won those three in a row, but you could see something missing. There was something missing from that lineup. A lot of ISO ball pro. So we know, you know, teams like to get it up quick and take quick shots and whatever, but I was I was just studying the the passes per possession, especially in that game seven. And it just felt like if Tatum or Brown got a kick ahead in transition, meaning that someone's thrown it to them as they're attacking, it was going up or it was one more pass going up. And, you know, on the flip side, you look at Miami, they get a rebound, they get a stop, they walk it up. They push it a little bit, but they walk it up for the most part. They they move it side to side. Robinson's running around off screens. Butler's moving. Bam's attacking. And they, and they generally got a good shot. And I think that was the difference in this series. It was It was a team that moved the ball. And a team that didn't, and we spoke about that in the Lakers Nuggets series, and we spoke about it in the Boston Miami series. But that was probably the big outliner for me, uh, Pro. What, what were your thoughts on that Game Seven? Yeah, I mean, they just they just fell back into that trap. I mean, you can't do anything, you can't do anything on a short term basis, especially when it comes to playing the right way and, and moving the ball. You can't win three games in a row in the playoffs and make this monumental comeback while. Obviously, because you just shared the ball, right? I mean, shared the ball. Nobody really stuck to it. You know, shot making, driving it. Don't let the defense load up and set up. And then in game seven, they just go revert. You know, Chris Wallace, longtime GM in the NBA, always told me people who always always revert back to who they really are. And that's what the Celtics did. They they started off selfish and just, you know, not caring. Then they made this pact with each other and played so well over a three-game period, and then they just reverted back to iso ball, iso ball. Now, obviously, what's 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 just you know the Tatum thing was so important, getting hurt in the first couple of minutes of the game really you know ruined him for the rest of the game for the most part. So that did ruin things, but. They just got an iso ball, iso ball, iso ball, and the Miami Heat just took took advantage of it and just jammed it down their throat. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, yeah, the injury plays a part, but look, at the end of the day, if anyone's got an excuse for injuries, it's probably Miami Heat, right? Like their their roster was depleted um, through different periods of this season. You know, they're still missing some some pretty handy rotation guys on that team, Harrow and and um, 
who's the other guy, Oladipo. So they have an excuse as well, but that, that's a thing in the playoffs, the finals, the conference finals. It's No one cares. If you're out on the court, unfortunately, you got to be ready to go. And and I got to give credit to Miami. You know, I picked, I picked against Miami every series, basically. I, I didn't think they'd get this far. I just thought their roster wasn't deep enough with the injuries. I thought they'd burn out and hit a wall eventually. And they continue to surprise. Congratulations. If you're a Miami Heat fan, you should be very proud right now. Um, and especially when we get to the finals, it's 1-1 right now. But they they had an unbelievable run to date, and they continue to get better and better. But but where to for Boston? I want to dig in there a little bit. I mean, we uh, – or I broke Jalen Brown rumors to Houston um, about a month or two ago on this podcast. That's now starting to actually get in the mainstream media pro. So we're here. Our sources are decent for once. Um, we're getting some good sources there from – that are in my ear that are over there in the US that he's trying to team up with with James. He has a year left on his deal, but if Boston knows he doesn't want to stay and commit, do they move him early? But on the flip side, he can make a shitload more money staying in Boston. So could he could he do the Anthony Davis, potentially what Zion's going to do is sign that home home extension so you get that extra couple of million and then ask for a trade a year or two in. I don't know, but it just seems like Jalen Brown's not, not the happiest camper in, in, in Boston. Pro. I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are there, but I think he's, he's there's a there's a slight chance that he could be gone with a year left on his contract, and Boston just says, you know what, we're going to move on and build around Tatum, or maybe he does extend for that big money. Yeah, Bogues. I mean, he's owed thirty million for one more year. Um, Boston has a lot of power here, in which they can do either one of two things: obviously, resign him to what like three hundred million. And just basically build around him and Tatum. Problem is you handcuff your whole organization as far as your cap's concerned. You can't do anything. You know, uh, the threshold of your taxpayer mid-level, I think they even take that away in the new CBA where you don't really have a mid-level. Um, if you go, you know pass a certain threshold, now you, you're basically saying these are our guys and we're going forward with this. Yes, they are very close to winning a championship, but... Look, Red Auerbach was famous, folks, in the 80s, making these trades with the team to get off somebody or a pick that everybody really coveted and valued. He felt as though they didn't have as much value as people thought he did and then brought back a laundry basket of things, like brought back Kevin McHale, brought back Robert Parrish, brought back... Um, you know, Len Bias who passed away, but they got, you know, they got the pick based on getting off people and then getting picks. I think if I'm them, Houston really doesn't have anybody that I really want uh, on my roster. No, nothing that's really going to solidify me going forward. Now, there's a lot of talk about uh, the Portland Trailblazers uh, dealing up the third pick of the draft, uh, Afrony Simons, and maybe another player to make the deal work. To me, if I'm the Celtics, I'm I'm dealing I'm dealing Jalen Brown yesterday. I'm dealing him to Portland if if they have it. What I would want to do is get flexibility. If you get you know if there's a lot of value in the draft in the third pick, get somebody you know the Scoot Henderson, there's the kid Miller from Alabama. Both of those players, um, you know, could really bring you back a lot of value in the future. Bring you back a really good player. Simon is a player that averages over 20 points a game. He can really shoot a good young player and maybe sign and trade for Thibel as well, where you have an elite defender to put in your, you know, into your wheelhouse. Look, the problem is they might have enough to get to the championship. Do they have enough to win it? Well, this year they probably did if they played a certain way and things went, you know, a little bit differently. Maybe they did have enough, but my thing is you really handcuff yourself. 
And there's a, there's some inner problems with the team. You always hear about it. And plus guys like Al Horford, like how long are you going to go with Al Horford? How long are you going to go with Robert Williams? Injury issues and stuff in the past. You know, they've got a good core, right? And I just think that if you could bring back multiple players, a draft pick that could be worth, you know, a laundry list of things either in their either you you know sign you know resign them in the future or you trade them and get more like you got to keep this thing going tatum is your guy tatum is someone you build around he's like your quote-unquote larry bird of the team and now everybody else you just gotta you gotta build around and i think if you can get multiple assets back in a trade that you do it i think look if you trade brown yeah can you get back there can you get to a final maybe you can but I just think there's something missing there. And for him, you know, for him, I don't know what he wants. Like, he doesn't seem like he likes Boston all that much. There's always some backhanded stuff being said about the fan base or this or that. Obviously, he probably wants to be, you know, uh, probably a bigger option than he is. Although he's averaging 27-7. and seven. I don't think it's, it's not like he doesn't get the ball there. But for me, Bogues, if I'm them and you have a, a deal where you can get a top three pick, you can get a really good young player, and then you get another player, preferably a Thibault that could really guard people, and it's a young player, and now he could be your elite defender. Then you go and say, all right, what's the trade market for a Marcus Smart now? And then maybe bring in a point guard or bring in somebody else. And then you sort of add to your rotation, and then you add to your future as well. I think that... You know, I, I think that signing Brown isn't a terrible thing to do, but I just think it handcuffs you, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on it, Bo? Yeah, I agree. I would, I would move him. I mean, look look at the stats in the playoffs. Jalen Brown was horrendous. Um, he took more shots than Tatum, and I agree with you. I think Tatum's a clear number one on this team. Jalen Brown's done a great job of working himself into being a very good number two. There's some people that debated who's the man on this team. It's Tatum to me. But you look at the numbers in the playoffs. He averaged 19 points. Six rebounds, three and a half assists, right? He, sh- he shot 41% from the field. He shot 16% from three. Sorry, this is in the series versus Miami. He shot 66 from the line, and he had 3.6 turnovers to 3.4 assists. That's not getting it done. So I, I disagree with your Marcus Smart take. I think Marcus Smart's a valuable piece on this team because you need that you need that guy that's crazy and will do some crazy shit every now and then. So I would keep Marcus Smart. I'd keep Robert Williams. Al Horford – Getting very old. If, if you're relying on Al Horford, you're in some trouble for, for a, a long term. I think he'd be valuable in their locker room and on the bench, maybe playing some spot minutes, but his numbers, his minutes should start dwindling. Grant Williams, I don't mind as a role player. I agree with you. Jalen Brown, they need to move him. If they bring someone in like Simons, great get. I also think they need to look to get someone like, similar to when the Warriors brought in Andre Iguodala. They need a calming veteran influence on that team. Now, they have veterans. Al Horford's probably that, but not he's a big, right? So there's only so much you can do from that aspect. They need a guard, a one, two, or three man that can come in when shit's hitting the fan, when they're not making shots. And that's where Andre was great for the Warriors. He would huddle us up and say, hey, we need to get, it. We need to get a good look right now. We need to get to the free throw line. We need to do this. They don't really have that. And that's the piece I think they're missing. They thought it was going to be Evan Turner four or five years ago, that didn't work out. But they need someone like that, you know, someone who can just bring a steady and calm influence to that team. But I would move Brown myself. Um, I'll just move off it, get some picks back, maybe go on a three, three-way trade with Portland, uh, even just direct with Portland possibly. But I'd definitely do it. I think Derek White had a great playoffs for the most part. You can you can fill in some of Brown's minutes with that or production at least, not similar positions. Um, 
Brogdon, a lot to be desired. Weren't missing in the playoffs for the most part, especially against the, the Miami Heat. And then you're going to rebuild. You have to rebuild. So, you know, I just don't think that this team's going to get it done now. I think that 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 mental aspect of how close they got is going to haunt this this exact group for a long, long time. So I think they got to move it on. And, and you got to get, build around Tatum. You know, he's, he's going to be – he continues to get better and work on his game. Um, his, his growth being immense. And, I, I, yeah, I think, I think Boston is just going to – have to make some changes. You roll the dice on bringing this team back, it could implode. You could be a second-round team and they are paying Jalen Brown, what, $240 million over whatever? Well, $300 plus million. Yeah, 300 There you go, with the new cap going up. So I wouldn't do it. I agree with you. So that's where Boston's at. Let's move on to the finals. Currently 1-1. We have a series. It's going to be a great series, I think. I'm still going Denver 4-2 because I'm going to continue my, um, my reign of picking against Miami. Um, who do you have, by the way, pro in this series? Well, I have Denver win. I have Denver winning the series. Yeah, um, four, I don't know two, four, how three. many games. Probably four. I would say four three. I, I think Miami could punch them in the face one more time. You know, especially when you go back to Miami, and then you know let it. I think they could punch them in the face one more time in in, in Denver as well. So I think I think they can make it a series. But again, I think it's it will be a little bit too much for them to overcome the win in seven. But I would I would have Denver. But yeah, let's just make it fun. We'll say in seven. Every possibility goes seven. A lot of these um, these series have gone depth, and Adam Silver will be loving seven games. But it's been interesting uh, this series. I think game one, you know, some people argued that that Miami could have won that game. They they they, they charted missing a bunch of open threes. Um, a few of those go down, and they're in a ball game. And a lot of people, you know, are saying oh, there's not a whole lot of panic. You know, um, they're gonna they're gonna make some of these shots eventually, and. And they're going to make it a series, and they, they only go they go down one hundred four ninety three in game one, and then they did exactly that in, in in game two, which just finished. But Denver had had you know Miami had control early; they didn't finish the first quarter well. Denver took over. Um, Denver then had a nice little lead going into halftime, and and I felt like they probably thought you know we're there, we're good, we're going to go two one zero, we're going to handle our business two zero, go back to Miami, you know, have some drinks on South Beach, and then win, just win one in Miami, come back to Denver and win it. But these things are swinging, and they ended up losing and. There were some big adjustments today with the Miami Heat, which is which I liked. Um, they went, which I didn't think they'd do. They went back to that zone heavily, Pride. I didn't think they'd go back to that zone in this series just because you got one of the best passing big men of all time. If he catches it, so for, for people out there that are coaches or that are half hobby basketballers that don't know a lot of the language, generally when you have a, a big that can pass the ball at an elite level and you zone a team like that, that big catches it in the middle of the middle of the zone around the free throw area. It's picky's poison because the zone then collapses, and, and a guy like Jokic can just pass it. But they took they rolled the dice and went with it, and they actually stayed home in the zone. What I mean by that is when Jokic caught it there, they left the the middle of the zone, which was generally Bam, to guard Jokic one on one. Everyone was staying home on shooters, and I think it worked. I think the balance of Denver moving the ball really dried up, especially in that last quarter. There were a lot of a lot of isolation shots. There were some turn, uncanny turnovers from Jokic out of that position. And there was a lot of isolation basketball. There was a period of, of, of lull where Denver were really grinding isolation basketball. And, and I kind of thought to myself, Miami's got a chance here if they can score at the other end. All of a sudden, they start hitting some shots. Gabe Vincent comes and hits some big threes. And they steal the game. They, they win it. And then, obviously, Denver made a run late, made it a game. It was down, was it, 10-odd 10, 10 points late in the fourth quarter. And they come back and, and win it. But... I like the adjustment of starting Kevin Love just to take away any easy production from Aaron Gordon. Uh, they posted him heavily early in game one and got a lot of easy baskets. So Spo adjusted by starting Love. 
uh, for Martin. Martin then comes off the bench. And, and, and it really it really stymied Denver. They couldn't get a lot of easy baskets early. Their flow looked stymied. And it was that's the Miami Heat. I mean, Spoza, an expert at making adjustments game to game and was studying that film. I mean, he probably would have watched the game 15 times between game one and two. And credit to the Miami Heat. It's it's 1-1 pro. Yeah, Bogues, no, no doubt. In the first game, look, Max Strauss going 0 for 10. It was a big, a big problem for Miami. Like so many, those guys were so good. The role players were so good, um, you know, throughout the Boston series, throughout the whole playoffs, really. And, you know, to have Max Struess go 0 for 10, a bunch of other guys struggle. And the ball just moves so well for Denver, especially like Aaron Gordon getting easy shots, you know, the post-ups and the the easy looks. I mean, that, that really helped them. Um, I really like Jokic. Look, look. You know, Jokic could shoot 58 times if he wants to. Guy's a phenomenal player. But it, it seems to me like when he shoots under 20 shots a game, when he shoots 13, 14 shots, he passes, he gets easy looks, he gets everybody else involved, he gets to the free throw line. You know, I, I think that there's so much tougher to guard where if he shoots 28 times, look, he was he was effective as hell, you know, tonight, 16 to 28, 7 for 8 from the line. Um, two for five from three, like it's scoring 41. But I think everyone else has to eat, you know, with him. And I, I think that they just took the ball out of some people's hands. And, you know, look, Michael Porter going two for eight, one for six from three doesn't help. You know, Gordon was effective for sure. You know, it didn't seem like he was as effective. He scored 12 instead of 17 in game one. And it was just tough. You know, Jamal Murray came up big, you know, when they needed him, but it's just. Look, Miami made plays. They didn't. The one thing about Miami, you know, like Jimmy Butler's always like, he's always got that poker face on. Doesn't get too riled up. Sometimes he does with the antics, but for the most part, he's just steady. I like the Kevin Love insertion into the starting lineup without question. I think Bam Adebayo played a lot better, facilitated better. You know, you know, made shots was a more of an offensive presence, in my opinion, and, and really helped them. Max Struess going four for ten from three really helped. You know, Gabe Vincent stepped in, um, and I thought it was you know Duncan Robinson made some great plays off the dribble. I think there's not enough said about his development from just being a spot up shooter, being an elite spot up shooter, elite shot shooter that could shoot on the move to somebody who was basically you know, toe tagged as in an NBA, you know, body bag, basically, you know, can't play him for about six months. Then you play him, you play him big minutes. Now he's taking guys off the dribble, straight line drives, really tough to guard. I just think it's going to be a great series. I think it's going to be like 4-2, 4-3. It's anybody's game. I think Denver's too good to lose. And I don't know, that sounded, that sounded fucking, that sounds stupid coming out of my mouth, but like, it, it really, you know, they are, they just do seem like they have more talent, like just too much talent, but you never know. But I, I think it's going to be a great series. I think, you know, Mike Malone is going to come back and, and, you know, put him in another situation, make some changes, just like Spo did, Spolster did tonight. And I just think it's going to be a great series. I think it's, they're going to, you know, they're just going to change things up. I think that, 
you'll see the ball move a little bit more, you know, from Denver's point of view, get, get a lot more cutting going on, get Gordon in the post, see if he could fit. Like, if I'm him, I'm facing up and driving, but you know, f- driving uh, Love. I'm forcing Love to guard me. I'm getting him in foul trouble. Guard, well, you know, Love can't, you know, he's got a great basketball IQ, but he can't guard anybody. But if you try to muscle him, he's pretty good at just getting a body into you. Yeah, for sure. He's smart. He's a genius when it comes to that stuff. But if you get him in that mid post, face him up, drive him, rip him through, and then force him to like, you know, to get into some, you know, take some fouls because he can't stay in front of you, you know, that's a different story. We'll see. I think it's going to be a great series. Yeah, Porter Jr. wasn't great today, minus minus 15 in his minutes. I don't think Denver have anything else they can really go to personnel-wise. The DMPs, Thomas Bryant, Kunkar, um, Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, there's not much there. Ish Smith that they can really bring in. Maybe Reggie Jackson gets a bit of a sniff. I doubt it. Um, I think they stay with their rotation of eight. Here's a stat for you, Pro. Uh, We we don't have to use this in useful or useless, but – I've gone back and just checked because I, I read this stat and I wanted to just confirm it. So shout out to StatMuse. I just punched it on their website. When Jokic scores over 40 in a playoff game, they're on four historically. Wow. So it's a small sample size, but whenever he has big scoring games, it goes back to uh, obviously today he scored 40. Uh, Denver versus Phoenix earlier in the playoffs and then Minnesota versus um, Denver. He had he had uh, forty three in that one. He had fifty three versus Phoenix, forty one today against Miami, and the other one was forty three against San Antonio in two thousand nineteen. But when he when he has big scoring games, they lose those games. And we had that discussion, I think, a couple of podcasts ago. Where do you just do you just try to let him not try to let him because it's not easy to score in the NBA? But do you just live with him having forty or fifty? Right, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, if no one else is really involved in feeling it, and that's what happened today. You know, they he scores forty one, has a hell of a game. What I look at on the stat sheet and I circle, he had four assists, pro. Four assists to five turnovers. When you're, That's just not Denver Nuggets basketball. When I feel like they're better off having, you know, Jokic have 25, you know, 10 rebounds and 10 assists. They'll have a better chance of winning that game because more people are touching the ball and the ball's moving better. So credit to Miami. They, they stuck to a game plan. They said, we're going to guard you one-on-one, make you work. You want to score on us, go for it. Um, I also think I like Bam attacking him at the other end. I think it makes him guard, wears him down, ties him out, foul trouble, all that kind of stuff. So we're in for a series pro. I'm excited, man. I think this is, you know, it's, it's a tough one to pick. Uh, only picking Denver because of home court and, and just because of Jokic, really. But I wouldn't be overly surprised at this point if Miami somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat. But um, I'm loving it. I'm loving it so far, pro. I blame Christian Brown. Christian Brown took one shot last game and they won. He took three shots today. Even though he went for three for three, they lost. So stick that up your ass, stat guys. I think that he's the big problem here. Take the ball out of his hands, and Denver wins the series. Also, I heard that uh, Nikola Jokic went out with Nikola Jovic from um, from Miami. I heard about that, out. actually. Yeah, so my thing is, Spolster's not, and Riley isn't, they're not below the, the line of saying to telling Jovic to get Jokic drunk. Get the whole playbook from um, from Denver, you know, and, and then and then just know the game plan. So maybe there's some espionage going on, you know, with Jovic and Jokic. Who knows? I'm just saying. Yeah, I found that strange. I know they're boys and the whole Serbian connection, but in, in you know, like when we played the Cavs, I wasn't catching up with Delhi during the finals. I was like fuck that. Like we're, <laughs> we're 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 friends. We're on the national team, but I'm not like we're we're enemies for these seven games. Um, so I found that interesting that they actually publicized it to him. But that's. That's Jokic's mo though. Like he's like so nonchalant, mm-hmm. and I don't think he, I don't think it would have checked uh, would, would affect his psyche whatsoever. Hell but, no. um, yeah, that was no. a pretty 
pretty interesting note. All right, moving on to some news. So we're looking forward to the rest of this series. Um, I've got them all penciled out. I'm trying to free my days because usually in Australian time pro, they're a more friendly hour for us. They usually start at 10 or 11 in the morning. So if I uh, cancel any appointments that I'm involved with in Australia with you, it's because the NBA finals are on. Bob Myers, gone pro, gone. Um, look, we were sniffing this out. The media was sniffing it out. Apparently he got uh, he got – you know, a huge, huge offer. What was reported to be um, the the biggest offer in, or, or the biggest, the highest paid GM in the NBA as of current rejected it. We kind of were like, well, how do you reject that? Did he really get it? Is that just the Warriors kind of putting out good PR? But he's gone. Um, has not announced what he's going to do. There's there's rumblings that you know maybe New York, maybe something else, maybe he takes a gap year for a year. But he's he's going to be a, a hot commodity when he's ready to come back. Um, arguably one of the most successful GM eras of all time, pro. Uh, 11 seasons, four championships, uh, six, 65% winning season winning regular season winning percentage of 571 to 304 losses over the, over the last 11 seasons. The best record in the NBA over that stretch. Fantastic what he did. Um, he, he, he came in when I, I got traded there. And they had a GM that I met when I got traded and they're like, well, he's kind of our GM, but we're going to phase him out to this guy. It was kind of a weird vibe. Like who, who, who's the GM? What's going on? And then Bob took over and obviously coming from being a player agent, just a really good, really good presence about him, a good aura, really smart guy. Guys love being around him, a guy you could joke around with and have fun with. I actually shot him a text a couple of days ago and, you know, just had a little back and forth text message with him was pretty cool about, you know, our time together and whatnot and, and all of that. But he, um, yeah, I think one of the one of the best you know decades of, of basketball that a GM has been a part of a team. Probably the, the only be- only one better I'd probably have. I mean, Jerry West has been up there as well, Pat Riley, but you know Jerry Krause obviously getting six chips in a decade would probably trump this one. But uh, he wasn't as well liked, old Jerry in in, in Chicago, that, that as, as well as Bob was liked in Golden State. And then just the humility of him. You know, the, the infamous press conference when Kevin Durant um, did his Achilles. Of, of of Bob Myers. If you haven't watched that, um, jump on YouTube and watch that press conference. It was it was tear jerking, and, and he went out to bat. He was he was teary eyed, and I really respected him after that pro. But uh, a good one's gone. We'll see what happens, eh? Yeah, I mean, what a great run. I mean, from day one, just sort of building that team, staying together. You know, putting. Was he the one who drafted? Did he draft Steph? He started there. Or did he inherit Stephanie? Yeah, he inherited Steph. I'm pretty sure. Um, okay, I didn't yeah, know. Steph I, was 2009, I, 2009, 10 season was Steph. So Bob came in. I think 2012 would yeah it'd be 2012 because 11 years. So he came in after. So he got a little bit lucky there, of course. Uh, no, of course, but no, I just didn't know. I mean, I met Bob when he was an agent. He he represented Perk actually when we drafted him in Boston, and I remember picking him up. Um, I had to take a limo and pick up those guys the day after the draft for the press conference and just having a 25 minute conversation. And you know, like most agents are just going to like fleece you. They're just fucking, they're not guys you really want to you know spend much time talking to, but he was a really interesting dude talking about different things. And um, he was a good guy. He's just one of those guys that just sort of, you know, I could even see him Bogues now going back to basketball. I could see some big time company, you know, Disney or something, making him a CEO. Like, I think that the guy could run a company, could run an organization, multi-layered. He's not just pigeonholed into basketball. I mean, he's really well liked. Knows how to work it. Knows how to you know, you know, knows how to be around people. Never really heard a bad thing about him. Every one of these other GMs, you hear something about. Now, of course, 
you know, a competitive edge, you got to have something and, you know, you got to have something that maybe people don't like, but you get the be best out of people. I heard this dude is a, one of the best human beings ever. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, he did so, you know, such a good job there uh, in Golden State with drafting and putting people together and handling things. And, you know, people just loved him and, and they love to work for him. They love to compete and go to war with him and for him. And it, it's such a, it, it was a cool thing to see. And, yeah, it, it's an interesting situation that happened. Maybe he just got burnt out of the thing. Um, maybe he could see the writing on the wall. Maybe Lacob's son, like I told you in, in past episodes, whenever you have a son of a billionaire that's sort of moving up in the game, that, you know, there's not, it's like a locomotive. You're not stopping it. So maybe they were like, hey, you know, this is where it's going to go. Maybe he knew that going forward. And he's like, you know what? Let me step away from it. Maybe he sees the fact that they can't really make a move now that could keep these guys back on top and he just sort of doesn't want to see it just keep going down. I don't know. Who knows? But it was a hell of a run. Wish him good luck, uh, you know, wherever he ends up. 100%. And he's been a huge part of their success. He's probably, you know, it's never a good time to leave, but this is probably the best time to leave the Warriors uh, where there's, I think, without disrespecting them, it's probably downside from here, you'd say, Pro. I mean, they're, they're getting older. They have some decisions to make. On Draymond and Clay and whatnot, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that how that all works out. But probably probably the best time to possibly leave, I think. Steph's probably only got another you know a couple of good years left in him at that insane elite level. Well, it's not a move they can make now. You know, like probably a couple. Like if they didn't make the pool move with the contract, right? And then, like once they got rid of KD, like look, they did did a great job getting Wiggins and getting off of. Um, you know, Russell, right? Got Wiggins. That worked out great. But without that other guy, you know, that, you know, with the injuries bugged that hit them, you know, with Thompson, and they just couldn't get another guy like a KD, you know, they, they lucked out with Harrison Barnes, having him, you know, do so well for them, moved on from him, got, got, you know, got Kevin Durant. And then once they got, you know, they moved on from Durant, and they, they, you know, they, they had to go through that, you know, that period. They then they got Wiggins. It really helped out. But now with their aging, with I probably the diminished value of Draymond Green as far as what you can get in a trade. Clay Thompson getting up there in age, you could still get something for Clay. The one thing about these organizations, Bogues, and you know that like San Antonio, Boston, um, the the you know Chicago back in the 90s what they could always do is make these moves to acquire new talent that to go around your you know your big time players your superstars and just to keep on doing it like you know the these t these organizations these you know were able to do it San Antonio did it you know getting quiet you know moving on from players right before they hit that that you know that level of 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 you're just declining when they get Kawhi Leonard and they traded some guys out, you know, some veterans out the door, Boston, you know, they didn't do it. They just sort of let those guys age. Uh, they got some bad luck with Reggie Lewis passing away and when bias passing away, Lakers brought in Rodman. I mean, uh, the bulls brought in Rodman, you know, the Lakers sort of moved around, you know, Lamar Odom, you know, they had Kobe, then they got bring on, you know, they got Paul Gasol. They, they were able to sort of, you know, to steady things out, you know, 
Golden State did it with some moves. I just don't think there's any move to make now, Bogues. You're obviously going to keep Curry. You're never going to trade him. And then even if you move Thompson, say, what are you going to get back that's really going to keep you back on edge? Who are your young players coming up where you could say, you know what, you know, we could either move these guys for you know big-time payload in a year or two, or we could you know, move this guy for all these draft picks. With the talent that we have, we could stay on top. There's really not a move to make anymore. And plus now with your salary cap situation, with what you did with Poole, I just don't think you can do it. I think if you're going to leave, this is the best time to leave. Look, they had a, they had a, good, you know, they had a, a, a good run at the end here. Um, they, they obviously didn't go as far as they wanted to, but... You know, the way they they played all season, they actually probably overachieved playoff-wise what you probably thought they were going to do, even though they, they sort of fell short. This is not a move to make, Bogues. I think they're they're handcuffed. I, I, I don't think there's enough draft picks in anybody's cupboard to get rid of Poole off his contract. The Draymond uh, Green thing is going to be tough. Um, I just think it's going to be tough for them to move, uh, to really stay on top of this thing. Totally agree. We'll see. We'll watch this space. We, we said that before they Last championship versus Boston, though. So you never know with them. But, yeah, I think it's starting to revert to the mean. I, I don't think there's a lot of upside left. Um, obviously, Steph and Clay and Draymond, they're champions and will be forever. But, you know, age is undefeated and, and are, they are really hamstrung with what they can do with their salary cap. So I'll be interested to see who they hire, whether it'll be, you know, a family hire in Kirk Lakeb, who's um, I think he's the assistant GM right now. He's involved in the front office, um, Joe Sun, or if they go outside of the club, if they promote someone in the club, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we'll watch that space. All right, a lot of coaching changes um, pro or coaching moves at least. Um, James Borrego has now become the associate head coach of New Orleans. Um, I find this associate head coach label kind of pretty glaring, pro. Like it's, I know it's just a word, but. You know, what does that do for their current head coaching in uh, Twilly Green, right, over there in New Orleans? Um, is he on the hot seat now because there's an associate? But from what I understand, um, Borrego will be running their offense. He's an offensive expert, they say, and he'll be running that side of things. So we'll see how that goes for New Orleans. Monty has signed a monster deal. Monty Williams has gone to Detroit for six years, $78.5 million pro. Um be the highest paid coach, I believe, in, in the NBA right now. Just, you know, 13, 13 odd million a year. Unbelievable deal. Vogel for five years, 31 million, half of, not even half of that to Phoenix, um, which was an interesting one as well. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on those three moves, bro? Well, Borrego, look, the, the associate head coach title is just something fancy agents throw in you know, to get more money and make your guy a little bit more important than he really is. He's head assistant. Like there's a, every team's got a head assistant, so it's not a big deal. Borrego's a a great mind. I think he's a really good. Um, I think he's a really good number two. I don't think he's a great number one. Um, but hey, look, that is what it is. Uh, that's a really good hire for New Orleans. Gives you know, um, gives go, those guys the front bench. Gives them a little bit of help. Um, the Monty Williams situation. Look, Monty Williams took total advantage of the fact that nobody wants to go to Detroit. Same thing with free agency. They know that nobody wants to go there. You're a B. I wouldn't, yeah, I would say he's a B level, not a A level Spolstra type coach or pop type coach. I think he's sort of that second level. He hasn't really done anything great in his coaching career. You know, he made the finals once. That's great. But, you know, he's a little bit over 500. I think he's a good coach. I think solid coach, right? 
And what happens is he knew that nobody, you know, look, they're, they're finalists, Jaron Collins and, you know, and Kevin Ollie, they're, they're just, they're not that great. Right. They know nobody wants to go there. They, they, they draft, they're not drafting the top three. So there's nothing really great going to come in Detroit this year. They're an okay team. They got no shoot. They got very limited shooting, very limited talent. So Monty's like, no, just keep saying no, because that money's going to go up. My question is, were they in the middle of the interview with like Kevin Ollie? Like, Kevin, uh, what's your what's your situation on your five out offense? Well, can you hold that minute? I got a call coming in. Yeah, tell him. Oh, he doesn't want 75. Tell him it's 85. Boom. Oh, no, Kevin, seriously, what about our spacing on the left side? Oh, hold on a second. Oh, no, tell him he's our guy. 90, he got it. Signed and sealed. No, uh, Kevin, I'm going to have to uh, you know, put a pin in this interview. We'll call you next week on Zoom, buddy. No, I, I just want to know how that went. But no, seriously, like nobody wants to go there. And that's what they do. And they get, and, and Monty knew that. And probably Monty didn't want to be there. But he's like, kept on saying no, 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 until he's like, you know what? This is what I want. And they're like, you know what? We need our coach. I remember when I was in Boston, we were going to be really bad. Uh, Jim O'Brien uh, they fired Jim O'Brien or he stepped down, uh, my first year in the middle, in the middle of the year. And then, um, then they were looking for a coach. They got Doc Rivers. I think Doc got like 5 million a year and Doc was coming off, you know, uh, Orlando. I think he was in the media for maybe a year. And then that's the guy Danny Ainge wanted. And we were bad and he was considered a really good coach at the time. And we, like, that's the guy. And we knew that we weren't going to be good, but we, at least we had what they fe- felt as though was a championship level coach. And they would have, they would have signed anything to get the guy. And I think that that Monty Williams just sort of stepped into the 2023 version of that. They, they're not going to be good. They got a couple of good young players, but they, they, they really need a lot of moves and they want to get at least something that people could get excited about. Monty Williams is that guy. If that, you know, look, you, people may not think that, but that's what they think. And that's what he did. He took advantage of that. And with the Phoenix hire, look, Frank Vogel is a smart coach. Um, I was with him in Boston. Um, he was an assistant when I was there. Very smart, very smart coach. Um, you know, is he better than Monty Williams? Who knows, right? Made the fi- same thing, won a championship. Um, didn't really have a lot of success. He had some success in Indiana, really smart offensive coach. They brought that in. Uh, you know, like I told you before, you know, Isaiah Thomas and the owner's heir, he was going to make the move there. I've heard, I heard he's running the team. I don't know if that's, that's true, not true or what have you. And they, they hire Frank Vogel, safe hire. Um, somebody who's, you know, like I said, really organized, really smart. Could get the offense, you know, keep the offense going. Um, they kept Kevin Young. Uh, the assistant coach under Monty signed him to the largest deal an assistant coach ever had $2 million a year to be their head assistant. Um, you know, that's an interesting hire, but Hey, look, you know, this is Vogel's like fourth team and um, yeah, it is what it is in the NBA. You never, you never know folks. You never know. Totally agree. Very interesting with the coaching moves. Uh, I spoke to a friend of mine. He was asking, do you, do you think the market for coaches should be more? Um, theoretically pro because it's a fair point uh, he was saying that you know you look at look at the the size of the salary caps now the coaches probably bar Monty Williams of course haven't really seen that jump as much as max players have and mid-level and the mid-level's grown and your second tier stars are now making 20 to 25 it feels like the coaches have lagged they haven't really 
made that massive jump and, and arguably a coach is probably one of your most important non-playing assets you have. Obviously your GM's up there as well. But I think your coach is probably arguably even a little bit more than your GM because he's putting all the pieces together and making sure it functions on a daily basis, hands-on, right? Um, do you think the market for coaches is is lagging a little bit? I think I think the coaches definitely should get a bump, you know, as far as what we're doing. It's unbelievable some owners really – even though I I say that, like, coaching – maybe I've said it's irrelevant in some cases. I think that you need talent. It doesn't matter who your coach is, you need talent. You definitely don't want the wrong coach. You know, you might have a guy that doesn't really, like, get it done but, like, keeps you organized and keeps you going, but you definitely don't want to hire the, hire the wrong coach. I think that – it's unbelievable some of these owners that they go cheap on their coaches. They'll sign all these players to all this money and they'll give them the best things, you know, locker room planes, millions of dollars on this, and then they go cheap on their coach. Um, some organizations probably feel as though they're not going to win, that there's only 30 of these jobs they could hide, they could offer them whatever, you know, whatever low ball offer they want and they're going to hire, you know, and they're going to take it. Because you know these jobs are so high demand, and a lot of these guys are going to be like, "Yeah, I'll take it," because you know I may not get another one of these. And then some some owners really feel as though their coach is a big time stepping stone to what they want to do as an organization. You know, case in point, you know, uh, you know, Monty Williams getting a hundred million. If that's who you think your coach is, you might as well you know pony up. I, de- I definitely think there shouldn't be any coaches getting paid less than $5 million a year. You know, especially the valuation of these franchises being $2 billion, $3 billion, $4 billion. Right. Even five's low though, pro. Even like you do a five, you know, five year, 25. That's, that's if, if you're even a half decent coach, like that's a pretty low number when you factor in the cap and what max guys are getting. Um you know, Vogel, five years, thirty-one million. Yeah, probably like, the bottom bottom end, right? You got Kevin Durant. You got a team that's arguably one of the best teams in the West. You know, probably second or third. And yeah, you would think that that job would be eight million dollars a year minimum, not six. But well, what's yeah. interesting, Pro, is they've given they've given Vogel a lower low ball deal for a team of superstars. When Detroit's given money a huge deal for a team of young players, there's some. There's some glaring narrative there where I think Phoenix know we're not going to overpay our coach because if KD or Booker or Chris Paul aren't happy, he's gone. Whereas, you know, none of those Detroit players have enough oomph or respect in the league yet to fire a coach. So they're like, we're going to pay Monty. He's our guy. We're showing you this is six years, 80 million fellas. He's your coach. You better buy in or you're not playing. So there's actually a narrative within that. But also, but also look at the finalists for the jobs. You had Doc Rivers, Vogel, maybe even Nick Nurse, right, in, in the Phoenix job that until he dropped out to, to get the uh, Philly job. And then you got Jaron Collins, you know, Kevin Ollie, and Charles Lee, an assistant coach for Milwaukee. So you know that no, like no big-time candidate wanted to go to Detroit, so they had to pay that. Uh, Phoenix, you're right. Probably thinking that, look, this is our – now, I would have thought that Phoenix would have been like, Doc, Nick Nurse, what do you want? You know, like Kenny Atkinson maybe even in Golden State, what do you want? Because we need – like this is big because we gave away everything to get Durant. 
and to make that move. Like, this is it. If this doesn't work and Booker says he wants to go or Durant says he wants to go, we're done. We got no draft picks. We don't really have a lot of young players, you know, besides Jock Lawndale that we're, we're going to, you know, pay handsomely in the next couple of months. Shout out to Jock. But that's the thing. Like, they know. Like, I would have thought that they would have been like, all right, what do you guys want? You know, $10 million, you know, We got to get this done. So let's get the, you know, let's pay a lot for this position, get the best guy that we can. Look, I'm not shortchanging Vogel. I think he's going to do well there. I think they're a good team. I think that Frank knows he's not going to be confrontational. He's not going to be controversial there, you know. Um, but it's interesting that they only paid six, what, $6 million a year. And it's still a lot of money, but um, that it's unbelievable that like that contract of Monty's, he's not going to hit those thresholds, but he can make a, like a, I heard like 113 million, you know, in his deal. It, it's amazing. If there's playoff bonuses, he's not getting them <laughs> not for, no, for another no, couple no. of years anyway. Yeah. It was like, it's like my play, like, I bought uh, Dallas gave me like half a playoff bonus. Didn't in my second contract, didn't make the playoffs one time. So it's, it's, you know, really moot point, but like, um, yeah, it's interesting though. These like one organization, how they value the coach and how much they'll pay, you know. But look, there's not a lot to there's not a lot to salute in Detroit. There really isn't. I mean, it's a it's you know, Monty's signed for that money. He's making great money, but the downside is now you're in Detroit. You live in Detroit. You live in. And, and <laughs> yeah. you're, you've gone you know. from you've gone from Phoenix to Detroit. Ouch. Yeah, that that does that does take it. Take you another yeah. 30, 40 million on your contract for that. You move. know what? I, I would commute with all that money. I would just commute from Phoenix every day and just fucking private the whole time. <laughs> private jet. Yeah. <laughs> Last one, uh, Michael Winger. Don't really know much about this guy, but um, he's believed to have been hired by the Washington Wizards on an annual salary of approximately $9 million, so a pretty big number there. Wizards hired Winger away from the Los Angeles Clippers where he was a general manager under Lawrence Frank. I don't know much about him, Pro. Do you? Yeah, he came from uh, Oklahoma City, went to the Clippers. Clippers have like 18 assistant GMs. And yeah, um, I, <laughs> I mean, talk about money. Like like the money they're paying over there is crazy uh, with, with all the, you know, with all the bells and whistles they got. But um, I've heard a real smart guy, um, knows the game, you know, cap guy, I think, and very well respected in Oklahoma City. You know, um, I heard they had a, they had to, you know, try to pry him away from Oklahoma City in L.A. And I, I thought that Tim Conley, I've heard Tim Conley from Minnesota was going to go to Washington, but uh, I guess that didn't work. But, yeah, $9 million a year to run the team. And and that's the thing, Bogues. Like, the GM right now, there's no more powerful position than GM. It used to be like Coach had a lot more power. Not a lot more power, but he had just as much. Now, there are some coaches that carry a lot of weight in these organizations. But now it seems like you hear about these GMs like they they hire the staff, they hire every, like they run the whole deal. That's why a lot of these GMs are getting huge money, you know, because they run the staff, they run the player development, they run everything. And the, the, a lot of these head coaches don't have that power. They don't have the, you know, unless they're a celebrity coach, they don't really have the air of the owner. And a lot of these GMs do. So yeah, now you, you know, before you started seeing these GMs, they made three million bucks, four million bucks, whatever. Now you're seeing a lot. Like I think Daryl Morey's over ten, um, Wingers nine. You know, I think uh, Toronto. I think that, that he's making, 
you know, he especially since he won the championship, he's making huge money. A lot of these GMs are making bank, and they run the whole show in, in a lot of these places. And, you know, it sort of minimizes the head coach in a lot of these spots. Now, obviously, you've got, you know, guys like Pop that run the show, and there's other, you know, other coaches that have a lot of power. Some coaches have, like, split power, you know, the GM and the head coach, which I think is right. They sort of have equal power. They don't have power over the other. They just do their job. But a lot of these guys, Bogues, the GM really has the power in the organization. 100%. And it's a pretty big salary still for a guy that has been an assistant for a while, obviously lauded um, in the NBA circles, but not well known to get that much money. It's been pretty crazy. All right, last one. John Morant uh, has come up again. <clears throat> we don't need to get into the John Morant penalty and what we think it's going to be. But just a note, Adam Silver's comment um, saying that he's got a penalty in mind and he's not going to announce it to derail the attention away from the NBA Finals Pro. So... We'll wait and see what that's going to be like. He said he's going to announce it once the season's over. So watch that space, bro. Yeah, pretty smart. You know, like, like you said, it's probably going to be, you know, like we said, we're not going to talk about it, but it's probably going to be something that he does just doesn't want to answer questions to during the finals, let this thing happen, and then, and then you announce it. Probably, I don't know, Bogues, would you announce it after the draft, before Summer League? Would you, would you do it after Summer League? I mean, the schedule is going to come out in August, so like you don't want to go too far with it. Do you go in well, the between the, end of the month? So maybe yeah. maybe you do it. <clears throat> I think you do it before free agency, just in case teams need to make moves, right? Like that'd be ideal, just in case Memphis need to reload, or you know, if it's a whole season, God forbid, then Memphis has big problems, right? Um, you know, the teams, the teams that maybe throw trade offers if it is the whole season. You know, there's a lot that can happen. So I would do it. I think. I would do it yeah, right after draw. the 30th. No, right after the 30th pick where the assistant, the assistant, um, what's called president of the league has to, um, the commission of the league does the second oh, round. Oh, the second rounders? Yeah, the 30th round, <laughs> a 30th pick, the, you know, the Miami Heat draft, Johnny Jackson. Uh, by the way, um, John Morant, yeah, you're gone for 81 games. I'll see you guys later. I'll see you guys at the draft. <laughs> I'll draft next year. It's been great. So I don't know. That'd be a good one. That would be a good one for sure. All right, that's it for the NBA for now. Not a whole lot of news other than the NBA Finals. Everyone watching that, so I hope everyone's enjoying it. We sure are. Australia, NBL, there's been some rumors that uh, minority owners of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, John Wall and Dante Exum, are linked to potentially play for Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Now, if I'm a betting man, I would say that the Dante Exum rumors are as zero percent as you can get. I just don't think that he's going to give up you know, after the season he had in the Euro League, he had a fantastic season. I think he's he's probably going to get an NBA deal, I would think, in free agency. If not, he's going to end up making a million euro a year in, in Europe. So cross that one. John Wall, he's made a lot of money in his career. He's made two, three hundred million. I doubt he's going to come and live in, you know, the suburbs of, of Melbourne in one turner. Um, to play for the Southeast Melbourne Bengals. I highly doubt it. That one I'll give 5%, probably I'll be fair. I'll give that 5%. Maybe he wants to rekindle his NBA career and try to get back there that way, but he is older now. I just don't see any of those happening. I think that's all media fluff, and I, I hope I'm wrong, Pro, but I, I don't see that. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see him doing that. Look, he's got a lot of money. He made a lot of money. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to really give him a chance. I think he's ba- basically done, but – um, that is a pretty significant move to go all the way out there to play. I've seen crazier things happen, but I, I would, I think those are accurate. I would say right around four or five percent, you know, that happened. And I, Exum, I, I just don't see happening. The, the year that he had, 
I think he can go, you know, go with the Euroleague team, make a lot of money, make, you know, north of north of seven figures, and I think he could make pretty good, really good money. And no offense to the Australian league, the NBL, of course, but I, I just think that he'll probably. You know he'll probably do that more than like a deli who just probably just wants to come home at the end of his career, um, versus you know somebody who's got some gas left in the tank, sort of rekindled his career. I could see him. I could see him going to a Euroleague. I think he'll end up back in the NBA to be honest, but I could see him going. You know, going to a Euroleague situation. Totally agree with that, pro. All right, moving on. I have a bone to pick, pro, with the uh, IOC. Do you know who that is? Olympic Committee, folks. I mean, you're, you're yes. you've got a bone to, to pick with so many people and so many different. No, uh, I've calmed down a little bit with my age. I haven't really, I haven't really started anything for a month or two, which reminds me, I need to put a few tweets out and get some fire going on just some there random you shit. Just you know, nice. Um, but the IOC, man. So I've got you know people that are doing some documentaries from Olympic, uh, from some Olympic teams and from this and from that. They try to get some footage from the. From, Olymp- from the Olympics, have a guess how much the IOC charge for footage of any anything Olympics. Anything. Olympics. Have a guess. Uh, well, so like, right. if you wanted to get like highlights of, of of the Boomers game, round one game, and use one minute of it in a TV commercial, or you want to get a guy winning a high jump gold medal, whatever, anything, any footage that was part of the Olympics, how much would you think that would cost? I'm gonna guess twenty grand. For how long? Oh. Uh, for, that, for the whole game, or uh, yeah, let's just say, well, oh man, yeah, twenty grand for a game for one game footage. Ten k USD per minute, pro. Oof! Wow, ten thousand dollars USD they charge these these people at the IOC. They're running a nine hundred. They've got to number. be kidding themselves. What's that? They run running a nine hundred number back in the day. What man? Heck? Like it's it's. Not only that, athletes – this is what gets me about the IOC. Athletes aren't paid generally to play for their national team. They might have bonuses for medals, but generally the way it goes for most sports is they fund themselves, especially these smaller sports. Basketball, soccer, different. We're, we're professional athletes in the NBA and soccer leagues and this and that. Tennis players are making good money, right? So it's not a big deal. But some of these you know, athletes, rowers and gymnasts and archers and whatever, right, shooters – they fund their whole way there and they're basing it on getting a medal that then gives them bonuses from their sponsors, right? So you go, you go to these places, you're not making money. When you're in the village, get this pro. So when I'm in the village, I'm technically not allowed to do interviews from the village. This is how crazy it is. So if I'm doing a Zoom interview or a radio interview, I quote unquote need to leave the premises of the village. So no one does it. Like, what, so I'm going to walk out with my laptop out the gates of the village to do an interview? Like, get the fuck out of here. It's ridiculous. But they say, if you're not allowed to do it. It's illegal. If we catch you, you get in trouble. On top of that, how about this? So Matisse Thibel, uh did, he, he does like a, v, a vlog thing, right? You've mm-hmm. seen it? Yeah, it's good. He does, a, like it. he does a vlog thing where he just cameras himself and funny shit behind the scenes. That's part of the 10K Pro because it's filmed on their premises Jeez. Insane. So if, if he wants to use that for any promotional material or if he wants to do marketing with it or give it to, you know, this guy that's doing the documentary, huh? still the same fee. Still the same fee, pro. Insane, man. I just want to put that out there. Like the IOC is the biggest mafia-esque 
organization for sports in the world, man. Like it's 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 up there with the NCAA. And at least the NCAA's kind of caught on and like, okay, like we gotta we gotta start allowing these these peasants to make some money so they can eat. IOC is just the same. It's a ridiculous pro. So I, I wanna put that out there. I don't know if people realize that, but you know, if I record my own little thing with my teammates, I gotta then pay the IOC to use it because it was filmed in their stadiums. Like that's some absolute bullshit. So Thibault he's got to pay them 10,000 a minute that he does on his vlog now or no? I'm not sure. I think if he uses it for himself not to make money, I think it might be okay. Or I think he's just said, you know what? Kiss my ass. What are you going to do about it? But they, they if, yeah. if that's used, so if, if Matisse's footage is used for an actual documentary that's going to be on TV or Netflix or whatever, even that footage is 10K a minute to use. That's shot by Matisse. So, <laughs> like, so if I wanted a, a minute of Lawndale playing, it's gonna cost me ten grand if I sell it. Like if it's a commercial. Do you or- use it? So if you want to use it for hoop consultants, hey, look at look at uh, Jock Landale in this game versus Rudy Gobert. Ten k a minute for you, bro. Discount. Ten k a minute. Unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard the number. I, I knew that. I knew the tactics that IOC go about on a daily basis. But then they wonder why the Olympics is dying and people aren't holding it in, in the same prestige as it once was. It's ridiculous. And these athletes, like I said, basketball players, these guys like myself who made a shitload of money, we don't go to the Olympics to make money. But who I feel sorry for is these small sports that this is their everything. It's a four-year journey to get there. And, and you know, then you're just nickel and diamond these people. Like, it's just it's just wrong. They need to change it. Um, that, that's, a, that's absurd. Like if you're not paying athletes, they should be able to monetize their name and their medal and their ceremony as much as they bloody want. You shouldn't be making the money out of it. Otherwise pay the athletes because without the athletes, you don't have the event, you know? Um, back in the day, I guess you got your name out there because of the Olympics and all that. I get all that, but just unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it when I got, when I got that figure. I'm like, okay, maybe you say 10K for the game. <laughs> you get the whole game tape for to 10K. Be honest with 10K you, a minute. To be honest with you, I'd be like, 10 grand you get you get as much footage as you want throughout the olympics for one sport you know but a ten thousand a minute is yeah i mean imagine ten thousand a minute for that team imagine what the dream team could have charged in 92 that's crazy you know what i'm saying yeah insane yeah yeah insane it's insane like it's 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 absolutely bonkers um and they want to dictate to you that you can't do a radio interview from your room because you're on olympic grounds you know, so anyhow, let me know what you think of that, people. Crazy, crazy, crazy stat for everyone. All right, moving on. Dabble, a social betting experience. We can jump into the banter channels, connect with the Dabble community and write a bet all together. Follow, copy, bets, jump into banter. Download the app, have a dabble, dabble all one word in the app store, dabble socially, and you must always gamble responsibly. Stats, useful or useless. Most free throws attempted prior to today's game in the playoffs. Who would you have as number one pro? In this year's playoffs or just overall? This year's playoffs, total total, total free throws attempted. Probably. So, I mean, I'm just going to go. Oh, okay. Because I would just go with your deal with uh, saying the Lakers, but um, uh, Denver? No, player, player. Denver? Oh, player. I apologize. Player. Um, um, Jimmy Butler. Bang, Jimmy Butler, 155 attempts. Jason Tatum, second, 137. Jokic, 114. Anthony Davis, 108. Only players up until pre-today's game, which is game two, with over 100 attempts, bro. Useful, useless. I would say it's pretty useful, man. It's, uh, 
Yeah, I say it's pretty useful. What do you think? Pretty useful. Just shows the aggressiveness of Jimmy. You know, he's not known as a prolific scorer at times, but just gets it done. 155 free throw attempts, uh, leading the league. Um, you know, just just uh, just gets there. Next one: players with 15 plus playoff triple doubles all time. Who would you have, pro? Who would be your guesses? Who's your top three? Players with 15 triple doubles. I would 15, say, more, 15 or more triple doubles all time. Okay, 15 or more triple doubles. I would go Magic Johnson. I would go LeBron James. Uh, I don't think Bird was a big uh, triple-double guy. Ah, hell, let's just go Larry Bird. So let's go Bird, LeBron, and um, let's go Bird, LeBron, and Magic. Close. Close. LeBron and Magic are in there. The third one's currently playing pro. Jokic? Yeah, Jokic is in there. Wow. How about that? 15 hmm. plus playoff triple doubles all time. And he's going to probably eclipse both Magic and LeBron by the time it's all said and done with his retirement. But uh, useful or useless? That's crazy. I would say it's useful, man. That's, that's a heck of a stat that a guy that's only been in the league a few years, you know, I mean, he's been in the league for a little bit, but, you know, to. Go against those guys who've been in like deep playoff runs, and and he's gonna he's gonna eclipse those guys. Um, I would say it's pretty useful. Useful, definitely. Um, really, really tough to do that, uh, especially in the finals and the playoffs. So um, there's obviously the ones the players that have done in the regular season, but doing it in the playoffs is a whole different story. So very good. Heat this season, pro. In the regular season, pro pre playoffs, thirtieth in points. 27th in rebounds, 25th in assists, 25th in offensive rating, 21st in net rating. And they're currently in the NBA Finals, Pro. Useful or useless? I'd say useless because they're in the NBA Finals. But um, it's a pretty cool stat, but obviously useless if they're, they're grading so low, yet they're in the Finals. Um, now, that was the regular season, Bogues. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear that last part. Was that all yeah, these regular stats? season. Regular season, that's crazy. I would say, oh, I'm sorry, you know what? I'm going to flip it. Useful. I mean, shit. You know, it just goes to tell, it goes to show you that you got to throw that stuff away. In, in some instances, you got to throw that stuff away in the regular season and just play. And, and everything everything goes back to zero come the playoffs. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. What do you think? I think it's useful just to say, I think that the league is somewhat more and more becoming not so important in the in the regular season like this is this is almost this Miami Heat run is almost akin to the Moneyball movie right or the Moneyball era of the Oakland A's right even though Miami's got a, they spent they've spent a fair bit but my point being they've got so many undrafted players they've got injuries teams might revamp now about just giving out 30 40 million dollars gung ho to whoever and just say, you know what? We'll get that, that, that role player. We think he can mold into a, a really good player. We're going to give him an opportunity and not pay that guy. We're going to let him walk or whatever, right? It could do that. Um, we know it's a copycat league and the Warriors changed the game for better or worse with going small and the way they play and, and the heat just getting there the way they play. Like, like I read the roster out last week, bro. We, we read the roster out in the Miami Heat and you're like, this is not a finals team. Like, it's not. Um, no disrespect to the Miami Heat, but on paper, you look at those players – and you compare them to a Boston or a LA or a Phoenix, they're not, they're, you'd say no way, Milwaukee, but 
congrats, like you got to give him kudos, like congratulations, unbelievable. So I, I think it's a stat to a useful stat to say, is the regular season becoming less and less important? You know, we see it in baseball. It's the same thing, right? Like so many games, they just take them all for granted. It's becoming like that in the NBA now. And it's a dangerous game to play because you want your fans still selling out regular season games. You don't want them to just say, you know what? I'm just going to wait till, till the finals or to the playoffs. That's when that's when the big boys come to play. I'm not going to spend all my hard-earned money on a weekly basis watching regular season games. And if, you know, I know the NBA definitely knows that we got to keep these games competitive. They've changed the... The the awards the awards rules for games played and that's all because of that they got to keep it competitive so I think it's useful in that in that vein bro yeah Bogues yeah it's you know we we talk about that probably 10, 15 times a year you know on this podcast about the importance of it and look everything's geared towards if you could win a championship and um, I, I think that it is a tough game to play but at the in the end that's where you get judged by um, do you make a run for this championship and Look, I've said it for a long time. I think that the two, besides players on your team, I think the two biggest investments an owner has to make is with their front office being able to identify talent, right? Not only just talent, but the intel of what what's the makeup of a player inside, what kind of competitor, how coachable, how much you know, how much is he going to put into this thing, and then also the development of it. And I'm not trying to be biased because that's where I'm from, but that is important. And with Miami, it's so important to identify a player that has potential, you know, that maybe not 28 other teams don't really see that you see that has potential to be a rotation player or more. And to to be able to give them these players and these assets to your development team. And by the time their second contracts, you know, it's time for their second contract, they go from somebody who, you know, might've been rated 120 in the draft or 98 in the draft or 78 in the draft. And you turn them into, you know, a top 150 player in the league and you can continuously do that. That's worth its weight in gold. So, you know, my hat's off to what Miami's doing and, and some of these other teams. I think there's about four teams that do it right, and they're one of them. And it's just an interesting deal. I don't know what's more important, Bogues, to be honest. Like, on one part, you want to do what's best for your fan base for 82 nights a year, at least 41 in your home in your home gym. But like the at the end, you don't want to wear it down by – you know, game 72, you get seven huge injuries and you can't compete in the playoffs. I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what's more important. I know that everyone just makes a huge deal about the playoffs. How many championships do you win as a coach, as an organization, as a player? So everything, even though people are like, oh, wait a minute, they just want to rest up for the playoffs. Wait a minute, you're the same fan or you're the same talk show host that kills players and teams and GMs for not winning in the playoffs, yet you want to stand on your soapbox and say, you know, why are you resting for the playoffs? Why are you resting for the playoffs? It's just such a hypocritical thing. Um, look, we all we all do this to win. We all do this to compete to win a championship. So I guess that's what you want. Um, but on the same on the same pedestal, you have to tell your fan base, we really care about you throughout the year. We want to give you the best product possible. I really don't – I think behind closed doors, folks, I don't think that that's – I think that it's championship, 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 unless you're a tanking team that just doesn't want – you know, that wants to get the first pick in the draft. But I don't know, folks. It's such a – it's such a tough 
a tough thing to talk about, you know, like in public, everybody wants to say the right thing, but behind closed doors, you know how it is. It's like, you know, how are we going to win a championship? This sucks. We got to do this. We got to do that. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough deal, but the blueprint right now, if you know, for everybody looking a GM, a team, a trainer, like developing role players is a huge thing, huge thing. Because they could be so valuable. Look at all those guys on minimum deals in Miami that really outperforming guys that are making $20 million a year in the in playoff series. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing to look at. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, moving on to Q&As. First one is for you, Fro, essentially. Instagram. This is from Puchko12, P-U-C-K-O-12. I enjoy the banner you and Pro have. Speaking of Pro, he's proof basketball is for everyone. I think that's a uh, reference to your good looks, Pro. Um, how did Pro become a shooting coach and how did he start out? Oh, wow. Uh, shooting coach. Look, I'm more of a development coach but that really has been around a lot of great teachers of the game of shooting. There's a guy that I used to work camp with. Actually, I've known him since I was about 11 years old. He's a professional shooting coach. His name's Dave Hopla. And Dave... Um, travels. He was the first shooting coach I ever heard about. Um, he played overseas a little bit, you know, played small college basketball and is an unbelievable shooter. And I worked, you know, watched him lecture a ton of times, worked camps all over the country with him. And, you know, he taught me how he teaches guys how to shoot. So basically from watching him time and time again, and then one of my favorite things is to watch players shoot. And then just sort of, you know, form my own opinion on what could be improved if I was working with that player. There's thousands of players that I watch continuously that I would never step on the court with for one reason or another that, you know, never get to work with. But I think just perfecting my craft of doing it, you know, that was important. Now, when I got to places, look, I was more of a footwork guy, film, you know, breaking down film, footwork um, creating workout programs on the floor to get players better. But when I got to Dallas, you know, the, the Mavericks, we really had a lot of players that couldn't really shoot. And, you know, guys like Jay Crowder, guys like Rajon Rondo, you know, uh, Justin Anderson, Shanwa Parsons. And when I'm in the gym with them at night, I was like, look, we got we to gotta do something with the shot, you know? And, and it's usually small little tweaks that, you know, that's what I did, but, um, and that's what I would do. And, and I started to enjoy it. I got, you know, I wasn't really allowed from our head coach to work with guys on shooting for one reason or another. It was a, it was an Iran and Iraq situation with like me teaching one way and him teaching another, you know, that was completely opposite of one another. So that was a tug of war, but, um, that's it. Now, how I got into basketball, you know, with that, look, I just, I was a manager in a Division three school in Boston. I got hooked on with um, – I was a high school coach, JV coach. I thought I'd just be a JV coach, a varsity coach, you know, high school coach the rest of my career. And I got hooked on with a guy that coached an AU team when the AU was actually good in Boston. And I, I started working big-time camps in the summer. I worked about 12 weeks of camp, traveled the country, you know, basically not making any money because all the money I would make, I'd have to pay for my travel with. And basically learning from some big-time coaches and getting some mentors that I would, believe it or not, I would just shut the fuck up and let those guys talk to me and just ask them a ton of questions. And then what I did was any given moment, I would work out with players, boy, girl, high school, college, professional, didn't matter. 
I just had to work with thousands of players to get my craft. Got lucky, you know. My guy that was the AU coach got hired by Rick Pitino when he was at the Boston Celtics as his head scout. Got me into working out NBA guys, Bruce Bowen. Got me in with the Celtics a little bit. Got me my job with the Celtics. Work camps like the Nike All-American camp and all these camps. Just started working out all these players and got a pretty good reputation with it and got a chance to work with you know, Tim Grover in Chicago is one of the first NBA trainers and Kobe and got, you know, got hooked on with the Mavericks and just got pretty fucking lucky to be honest with you. But yeah, that's, that's sort of how it became a thing. Beautiful. Hope that answered the question. All right, next one, Q&A from Matt Nolan on, this one's on Facebook. If, if uh, Xavier Cooks for some reason gets released from his NBA contract, now the Kings have signed DJ Hogue. Would he be able to come back to Sydney or would he be a gun for hire in the NBL for any team to pick up? Well, we hope he comes back to Sydney, Matt, but he would be a, a free agent essentially. We don't see him getting released at least for a year or two if he was. He signed a four-year non-guarantee. So yes, he can potentially be released after a year or two, but they, they've brought him in and signed him on a deal because they see something. He had a pretty good finish to the season for him from, from all reports in practice and, and in their games. They'll at least give him another year or two before they, if they do move him on, move him on. But if they did tomorrow – the answer to your question would be we'd be in the market just like anybody else. Um, and the, the good thing is right now we have cap space. So if it did happen tomorrow, we have we have cap space because we still haven't went and signed all our all our starters. Uh, uh, DJ Hogue is the the biggest name uh, we've signed um, in the offseason. The rest were players that we've replenished on our bench for now. Um, so, yes, to, to answer your question, he'd be a free agent. He'd go wherever he wanted, but we think that he'd teach you Sydney. He, he loves being in Sydney. And we'd uh, we'd be able to match most offers as of today. Now, in a year's time, if we, our roster's filled with other guys and we don't have the cap space, that's just the unluckiness. We receive obviously a buyout for him going over to the to the US, so we've you know received a little bit there. But uh, that's that's just the tough part of, of of basketball and the business of basketball. You just got to deal with it and and kind of reload a roster the best way. But we hope um, we hope we don't see him back in the NBL if that makes sense, because that means he's doing great things in in the NBA, but my, my mail would be that even if he, for some reason, didn't stick in the NBA, that he'd be, he'd be getting a pretty decent, uh, decent salary in Europe that we probably couldn't afford to, uh, to match. Last one is from at Candyman on at Candyman underscore on Twitter. If you could change any one rule in the NBA, which would it be pro? What would you do? What's, what's one rule in the NBA you change? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question, folks. Um, to actually call a fucking travel once in a while, that probably would be my rule that I would change. Actually call a fucking travel. That's what I would want. What would you? I have no, I don't really know. I'm not a big rule guy, you know, as far as what I'm, what I'm changing. Um, I, I like the clear path. I mean, the, um, the take foul at half. I, I do like the fact of getting rid of that. You can't do that, but you know, I don't really have one. What do you have, folks? Um, well, yeah, the travel is obviously a rule that should be implemented. Um, but I'd probably go the goaltending rule. I like that uh, in FIBA. Yeah, yeah. I think you should be able to take it off the rim. If it's out of the – as soon as it's above the hoop and it's bounced, you should be able to smack that thing off. Um, that's one thing I'd like to change. Just I think that – and it stops that – you because know, there's some calls sometimes that are goaltends that probably aren't and, and vice versa, right? Some there's um, – guys remove it and then they call it a bucket. And then some guys remove ones that are actual goaltends. It's very hard for the referee in real time to get that one right, I believe, because the rule is that if there's a, a rim, 
there's a cylinder that's imaginary that goes up in the air. You can't really, you can't grab the ball until it's come out of that cylinder. And there's a lot that are that are fifty fifty, right? So that's one that I'd like to see change. I just don't. I love that in FIBA, and I think it makes you shoot better too. Like none of this friendly soft rim stuff. You better net it or taking it out of the rim, pro. Yeah, that's a good one too. I do like that uh, with the goal ten rule as far as the you know when the ball's in the rim. Um, I watch that a lot in EuroLeague. I enjoy that and the Olympic competition. So, yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, I like that. What do you got for us this week? You got any fa- uh, fact or fake news for us? Yeah, I got one. Uh, you know, t- correct me if I've asked this before, but um, Tyler Hero will be on the Miami Heat come training camp next year. Did I ask this already? I don't think so. Okay. No. I just want to make sure. Well, if you have, bad luck. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. I mean, if I was GM, I would try to move him. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's proven he's expandable. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami goes to market and tries to get some some good role players back, um, especially with the emergence, the re-emergence. I know we've spoken about of Duncan Robinson. Um, man, he's he had a fourth quarter today. He didn't score till the fourth quarter, and then had ten straight point, eight straight points, I think, and finished with ten points in the fourth. All big shots, but he's. He's figuring out the formula, bro. I know this is a hero question, but Duncan Robinson's, I think he's figuring out, I'm such a good shooter. If I slash one out of three times, I'm going to get a layup. And Reggie Miller figured that out, right? Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton, these guys just cause so much movement and and anxiety around shit. Where's the shooter at? He's coming off all these screens and, and they just get easy baskets. And, and then he's going to go to the third phase of these cuts are going to get his teammates open. So I think Duncan Robinson's starting to figure it out, really starting to figure it out. Um, and I think that then even further scapegoats Tyler Harrow. So I think if I'm Miami, I move him. Do they do it? Yes, I do. I think fact he's yeah, hope. I think it's going to be an off season, but I, I think the, the 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 clock is ticking for Tyler Harrow in a Miami Heat uniform. Yeah, Bogues. To me, <clears throat> I agree with that. I, uh, look, it's funny because you say that, right? You say that like I like Strauss. I like you know. I like these other guys and that they have, you know, Duncan Robinson and things. And, but then you're like, especially when they go cold scoring a little bit, you're like, man, they need a Tyler Harrow type, but you know, to, to, to create some offense. Cause that's what he can do. He likes taking a lot of tough shots. He's a guy that's not afraid of it. I'm not a huge fan. I don't think he's an efficient player like that. I think that it's a lot of just like, watching him dribble around and try to find, you know, try to find shots. I think, you know, if you look at his contract, the next four years, 27 million, 29 million, 31 and 33, it's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money, especially when you look at some of these other guys on your roster that you want to resign. Also, if you want to make a major trade that a team that might really cover them, for instance, like Danny Ainge wanted to draft him from what I've heard from media. I, I've, I haven't heard that from really like people on his staff or anything, but you read that he really likes him. I don't know. A lot of times when a GM wants to draft a guy, he tends to like him over time as well. So like you could actually take things back when somebody's on their rookie deal, you have to attach another contract to it and it's, it makes it really tough to acquire right now. He's at 27, 29, 31, 33, you know, I, I mean, I'm just spitballing here. Like, you know, say, you know, say you want to acquire somebody who's a all-star level player that like doesn't want to be, 
in their place anymore. Say you're the Portland Trailblazers, right? And the Dame Lillard thing comes up. And look, Dame, say Dame doesn't want to be there at some point. Finally says like in a month from now, you know what? I've been thinking about it, thinking it over. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go somewhere. And look, you're not going to trade him to the, you know, you're not going to trade him to, I don't know. You're not going to trade him to like the, some terrible team, uh, you know, the Indiana Pacers or something like that, right? You're not going to trade him to, you know, the Houston Rockets. He's not going to want to go. But if you say Miami Heat, and he's like, yeah, I'll do the Miami Heat. Now, the first, like, the first part of the deal could be, okay, we're going to center this trade around Tyler Hero. You know, it's $27 million. You know, Dame's making what upwards of 50 So now I only have a, like $15 million I got to trade in this deal, $18 million to make the, the money work. So now I don't have to trade eight players with Tyler Hero or I don't, you know, to get him out. So, yeah, I think he's got a lot of value for Miami. I think he does have value around the league. I think certain teams would value what he does. I don't think a lot of teams – like are are begging to have somebody who loves to take tough shots, you know, like over and over and over and over and over again to be the center point of the team. But sometimes you can make a deal where like if it's Portland and my guy wants to leave and I want this young player coming back that, you know, fans want to want to see play, has some talent, you know, already locked into a deal, you know, might be something. I don't expect him to be on the roster next year for them. And look, he's not a terrible player or anything. I just think that they've got so many of these players that now really produce in the playoffs that they could use some of that money going out the door, you know, instead of having him and and now having to try to move things around to get those guys paid, move some salary off the books, get an asset back in a trade, get a, you know, a lot, you know, get a couple of picks, get a player, and then you already have these other guys that have been battle tested in the playoffs that you could re-sign, you know, for some, you know, you know, cap friendly deals. I don't know. I don't expect him to be there. Beautiful. Anything else? Is that it? No more folks. That's Only it. doing one a week now. We're on a budget. <laughs> yeah, I think we're I think we're done. <laughs> all good, all good. Thank you. Everyone at Hoop Consultants at Rogue Bugs on all your social media forums. Give us a, a listen and a follow. And, and the studio is almost done, Pro. When the studio gets done, we're going to have to get on video as well. So you're going to have to put your makeup on and get your eyebrows done uh, and all that fun fu- stuff. Here put some, we fucking go. Put some, put some gel in your hair. You know, I want to do, vi- do video. Yeah, fuck off. I want to do video three years ago. You're like, shut that shit off. We ain't doing video. Now that you're fucking ESPN 9, you're fucking the new ESPN of fucking Australia. <laughs> you know, you put all that money in that. Fucking- hey, man, I've been waiting on these these tradies and these laborers to finish this damn warehouse. Everything's that, slow in Australia, man. Like is a, that a, a six-month project, six years here. Is that going to be a studio slash bomb bunker or what's it going to be? Is it going to be oh, like? It's got, it's got multi multi uses. It's going to have some muscle cars in there, a little weight uh, room, steam room just got finished. Uh, going to try to squeeze in a poker table there. So you know, it's going to be a a Swiss Army knife of warehouses, pro. But uh, we're waiting for the bloody uh, podcast room to get soundproof because it's echoey as hell in there. You hear me? You hear my voice or a word three times, so we can't record in there yet. So after I'm actually recording. Get this, people. I record from the master bedroom of my home, pro, because. Uh, Sound guy was like, man, I can hear too much of an echo in your study. So I had to move from there. And now I've got this little, you know, you know, those little foldable tables you get from like Bunnings or Home Depot. Got one of those. I unfold it, set it all up. This is what I do for you, bro. The, the links I go to to talk to you on a weekly basis should not be downplayed. Folks, you spending $8 million on a, uh, on a studio slash, what do you call it? A, 
like a warehouse. I'm going to be living in a warehouse in about three months, but I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're comfortable in your 88,000 square foot studio slash, you know, entertainment center. And I, and I'm doing it tough, doing it tough, bro. Yeah. Tough tough times right now. No doubt. All right. See you next week. Later, folks. See you guys later. Let's get rogue.